Hello and welcome to the D2C podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today we're coming at you with something a little bit different. Instead of a D2C brand today, we caught up with content creator extraordinaire Justin Say. Justin began reviewing tech and devices 10 years ago and has since grown to almost 800,000 subscribers on YouTube and has evolved his content to focus on at-home office setups, unique renovations, and more. This podcast is a deep dive on what it takes to be a high-end content creator and an opportunity for D2C brands to get inside the head of the kind of influencer that you'd probably dream to work with. You'll also hear a lot about the life of a 24-7 content creator, as well as some of the awesome perks that Justin's got, like recently being flown out to the F1 race in Montreal just to sort of commentate and get his take on the event. Lots of fun. I hope you enjoy this one. On with the show. As soon as COVID hit, there was like a few months where there wasn't any brand deals. And there are some people who might take it as an opportunity to rest or maybe wait until the deal comes. But in my opinion, the people who really end up thriving long term are the ones who are able to find business or ways to make money in their field while there is a given downturn. In an industry where it's very competitive, and I'm sure in many marketing industries, there are a ton of people in each one. Uh, wherever there's opportunity, there's going to be a lot of competition. It's very important to stay ahead of the curve, especially if there's a downturn. That's like the perfect opportunity to revolutionize your business, learn more as a creator, founder, be able to analyze every aspect of your business, but also work on things that you felt like you had an excuse not to do before. D2C marketers, let's get real. How many hours have you wasted searching for brand influencers only to come up empty-handed? It's time to stop spending time searching, scrolling, and haggling with influencers and start using creator marketing with Hashtag Paid. With Hashtag Paid, you can find your perfect creator match for your brand in less than 10 minutes every time. Getting started is easy. Just select your audience, campaign objectives, pick from a short list of creators, and hit run. It's just that easy. There's a reason why Hashtag Paid is the number one rated influencer marketing platform for D2C brands. As a D2C listener, you can even get credits for your first campaign. Just go to go.hashtagpaid.com slash DTCpod to get started. Justin, welcome to the D2C podcast. I've been just going over your videos, a uh, little learning a little bit more about your story as a creator. You're here in Victoria, British Columbia. Let's just start. Give me the the hero's journey on your creator's story for, for YouTube. Yeah, for sure. So um, when I was like 12 or 13, I was looking to buy my first real tech product, which at the time was the iPod Touch, like a very revolutionary product in the industry. And after going on YouTube and watching a ton of videos about like the accessories, how it works, the apps to get, um, eventually when I spent like the last like year or two, like saving up for the product, I had learned a lot about the YouTube space and figured I would like to start making videos as well. So I just like use the iPod's camera filmed the packaging and talked about my experience with it, checked out a bunch of accessories, and eventually kind of built our way up in the consumer tech industry into smartphones, laptops. And after I purchased my first condo, I showed some of the home tech side of things, desk setups. And as we've kind of evolved over the years, I think what's interesting is that not only has the influencer industry changed, but the tech industry has also changed significantly in terms of people's interests, the saturation in markets, and also rising markets. And we've really tried to position the channel over the last 10 years to continue to be a very 
tech focused and tech surrounded channel, but at the same time, trying to find new niches and ways to integrate it into lifestyle and current interests, as opposed to just always covering like deep details of consumer tech, which a lot of times can get very technical, but more so focusing on like a consumer approach to how we review products and how we integrate it into our everyday lifestyle. And, you know, specifically just with the the pandemic, the, you know, everyone focusing on their home office, your evolution of like expanding from the tech to the the spaces that house these tech was obviously a killer move. I, looking at your at your videos, I see it's still those techie phone reviews that drive like th- those appear to be like the biggest ones, right? Like those are where the biggest audience lurks is when a new uh, Android or a new iPhone drops. Yeah, for sure. It's um, There's a lot of smartphones coming out nowadays, and smartphones are an industry where it has become very saturated, both in terms of how many releases there are in a given year coming from overseas, but also in the amount of people reviewing the exact same thing. And so we figured, like, my interest is not exactly in smartphones directly because it is relatively repetitive. I mean, I've got my iPhone, and each year we get the newest iPhone, and that's, like, pretty much all I need. And so, um, yeah, I don't really, like... I guess I still review smartphones and we try to use it in a lifestyle manner, but I've personally found more of an interest in like home technology and like real estate and how that can integrate, but also still covering the latest in phones because it's just something that people are always going to, I guess, rely on for the foreseeable future. You've been in this industry now for a long time, since you were 12, essentially, Uh, and you're in your mid-20s now? Yeah, so over a decade or around a decade, I'm sure things have changed a ton. I'm just curious, like, what's your your view on the state of the sort of influencer creator ecosystem and where your channel fits in? Yeah, I think uh, it's it's been crazy to watch the start to where we are now in this whole industry because I guess I started at a time where YouTube is relatively new, video medium was still very casual and unrefined, and as the channel grew in size, it was still a small group of people just trying to discover the space and find an interest in it. And as I've noticed, uh, when I hit 100,000 subscribers, I believe in 2014 or 2015, that's where we started getting our first paid opportunities, which is interesting in the fact that like nowadays, people with 10,000 followers, 20,000 followers are getting paid opportunities. But 2015 was kind of the start of that. And as the years went on, I've just seen this industry continue to explode in terms of how much brands are spending in campaigns, the um, complexity of it, but also the fact that like influencers, YouTubers and Instagrammers are actually getting better access to events and launches and products than traditional media. Uh, For example, Apple has really opened up to working with content creators. And we actually just got back from the Apple headquarters, got to get a picture with Tim Cook. And um, in like 2015, it just it wasn't really something that I guess was seem like within the realm of possibility, at least in in my shoes. And so like since 2015, especially, we've just seen it multiply every single year. And even though like tech channels are not necessarily like the most viral growth industry, we're seeing opportunities multiply as the years go on, both in terms of budget and in volume. And it's starting to spread out much further beyond like just general technology like smartphones and laptops. But in fact, there are even lifestyle connections, such as um, we just got back from Formula One in Montreal yesterday. And that campaign was about Shell's like fuel innovation and technology and how like consumer products are developed based on specification of performance fuel that are used in Formula One cars. So all these examples are really cool. Electric cars are also something that we've also focused on and have just got back from Vietnam to uh, check out an electric car factory of a car that's going to be making its way to um, Canada and North America as essentially an attempt to disrupt the market that is largely dominated by Tesla. 
Super cool. Can you mention the brand on that one or is it, is it in stealth mode still? It's VinFast. Uh, so uh, it's a Vietnamese company that had essentially uh, started a real, it began as a real estate empire and it started making electric cars in Vietnam and noticed that it, it was able to dominate the market quite quickly. So they figured based on their scale of production and resource and strategy and focus towards consumer um, interests, such as long warranty programs and reliability confidence, they have tried to essentially enter the market, but have also offered perks that leverage their other side of the business, which is hospitality. And so if you make a pre-order of the car you before like May 1st or something or May 31st, you'd get like a, like a one week stay at one of their resorts um, and like also cash incentives and stuff like that. So I think the electric car industry, similar to like smartphone industry, is going to get very interesting just because of the number of offerings from all the companies out there. Um, and that only leads to better consumer options. And more videos to make. Yeah. Uh, as you, and, and expanding into these high ticket items is is obviously a great move as well. I'm curious, what, you know, when you started, you just probably started with passion for these devices, and you'd probably get, you know, you'd get them yourself. Maybe you start getting comped them. You start getting paid opportunities when you get your your hundred k uh, subscribers. Where where are you at now in terms of like how many of your videos are have a sponsored element to them at this point? So every video on the channel at this point uh, does have a sponsor in it. Uh, we're pretty much at the at the capacity now where there's way too much demand and the supply, although I like to say it is unlimited and we can always find a way to bring on new campaigns, uh, we're, we're constantly trying to keep up with it and we're constantly increasing our rates and trying to keep up with just the basic law of supply and demand. And I think that's what's so interesting about this influencer industry is because you can have a number of followers, you can have a number of views, you can have a number of subscribers and videos that you make. But the rate can constantly change depending on the amount of supply and demand in the industry as a whole. And I've seen experts say that there actually isn't enough volume out there uh, for the number of brand and influencer campaigns to go around. There's going to be constant inflow of, of new campaigns and new products that are constantly being released. And so I think uh, what's... Yeah, what's very interesting is uh, originally it was just like creating videos on stuff that I was interested in. We built the following. But at the end of the day, I was always kind of more of a business person than a creative. Uh, when I saved up to buy my iPod, I, I made that money from selling on Use Victoria of stuff around the house and getting a 10% commission. And so I kind of built up some skills from the transactional side of things of just learning how to do a deal, negotiate prices, um, sort out trades for products and trading my way up into higher ticket items before I could finally get what I wanted. And so when when I started a YouTube channel, that leverage kind of approach did get translated into reaching out to companies and asking for $20 items and $10 items. And now it's like $10,000, $100,000 items and discounts for like the home projects, um, as well as paid opportunities in the six figures as well. So I think all those like basic skills in the industry and the approach of how we looked at it as like a business opportunity has kind of carried over throughout the years and it's still very prominent today in the way that the business is run. Um, but to answer the question, uh, the, yeah, the YouTube channel, essentially every video does have a sponsor in one way or another, whether it's a one minute ad, a four minute ad, or a fully dedicated video. Um, they're, yeah, they're, they're right now just looking at the queue at the moment. Um, I believe we're ready at about 50 or 60 campaigns to start the first six months of the year. 
Unreal. And you're you're at the pinnacle of the of the creator ecosystem to some degree because you're you're not only an influencer, you ha- you not only have your own audience, you're not you know, you're making this in-depth content that people watch out of out of sheer interest. So you I think you're really kind of at the apex in in a way. I'm curious because working at an agency, working with Pilot House, you know, working with our influencers, it's it's a lot about like churning out shorter form content in the form of ads. Uh, the other thing that we find is that content like your content also works extremely well in different advertising funnels, like whether it's used in ads or on landing pages like that. Have you ever worked with advertisers, my question is, who have used your content in their ad funnel, not just using, uh, not just working with you for your audience, but also leveraging your content into their own audience and paid efforts? Absolutely. I think uh, what uh, is so powerful about influencer marketing is that the brand not only gets the value out of the content that is created in-house and in a lot of cases, relatively high quality. Obviously, everyone's approach to cinematography is a little bit different. Some are more focused on content. Others are more focused on like the video quality. And we would say we're right around the middle. Like We've invested in state-of-the-art equipment, red cameras. We can film in up to 8K resolution and provide uh, coverage both on the ground and in the air with some of the top-end drones. And um, at the same time, I would say from a content content standpoint, we're maybe not like as detailed and researched as some of the best creators in the industry, but at least have enough knowledge from a consumer standpoint to try to keep it interesting and try to add elements of lifestyle as opposed to just the tech. And so the companies do utilize our videos in a lot of cases for content licensing. And a lot of these brands that were, a lot of the contracts that we're getting nowadays include one year usage rights where they can use the name and the likeness as well as the content for remarketing purposes. And there are also a lot of scenarios where they take content that we've created already and remarket it onto platforms such as YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. And I mean, sometimes it is very locally targeted. Like I'll see my own ads on Instagram and Facebook, uh, a short segment that we filmed. And in other cases, we've also done videos internally where say we, uh, do like a video demonstration of a program or product and they end up using that on their page. That way there's a creator who has knowledge in the industry that is able to speak to the consumer in a consumer format as opposed to an employee from the company that would deliver it in more of a corporate format. Totally. Super interesting. So you're up to over, you're just above a quarter million subscribers on YouTube. Uh, 770,000 subscribers, I think. That's right. Three quarters of a million is what I meant to say. When do you think you'll get to a million? What's your goal for getting to a million? Yeah, that's that's been like the long question. And I feel like it's a bit of like a monkey on the back. Uh, it's It's got to be hopefully someday. And um, some channels are able to get to it a lot faster. But at the same time, um, the, the wait for a million is something that's on the radar, but at the same time, not like the biggest focus. I think the business side of the company has grown at a rate where the focus is to complete as many campaigns as possible, work with as many brands and continue to develop our content. And either way, the channel continues to grow at a rate of about 100,000 subscribers a year. But to be able to grow significantly faster, it would involve quite a bit of a trade-off on the business standpoint. And in terms of like the big picture of the media company where we invest in real estate and resource and in uh, hopefully talent moving down as well, I think my focus and kind of the company's focus on the business side of things and developing corporate relations and working with some of the largest brands in the world will continue to be a forefront that is a lot more worth it 
than, I guess, chasing the subscriber number, but it is a significant importance. And uh, a million subscribers is a goal that anybody has uh, from the day they start YouTube. It's essentially like playing a sport and wanting to win a championship. Uh, some people are going to have great careers and they're never going to win a championship, whereas others will hit it relatively early and then spend the rest of their careers trying to win it again. And so I think every journey is a little bit unique. And um, I definitely want to hit a million subscribers, but I'm also very happy with the way the channel is right now, um, the opportunities we're getting, and I guess what's like on the radar and pipeline of content moving forward. If demand is outstripping supply for content and for campaigns, what's your advice to brands out there who are looking to work with creators like you when it comes to getting your attention, potentially jumping the queue and, uh, you know, getting that supply? Yeah, I think, I mean, the easiest answer to that is to, to pay more. Um, but uh, with anything, there are brands that we work with at lower rates than others. And I think the big difference is for brands to be unique, but also to give creative flexibility. Uh, we run into situations where a deal that um, may be very easy in its context has a lot of different moving parts that just don't seem to, to make sense. And sometimes that's due to corporate instruction and the PR agency doesn't actually have much control over that. Whereas in other scenarios, it is um, just the fact that the brand doesn't really have a structure or format to work with creators effectively. And so the best brands that we work with are the ones that give us full creative control. They do have a decent budget, but at the same time, they're able to jump that queue because they're a lot easier to work with. Um, as a creator, there's nothing worse than having a campaign on the queue for two to three months which like, it seems like a lot of these deals, like they start looking very easy, but then there's a whole bunch of legalities, creative concepts that we may have pushed back on. And, um, and at the end of the day, it's like a lot of back and forth. And I think most creators, um, and even ones that are more focused on business than creative side of things, um, they, we don't love back and forth. And, uh, it's just cause there's so many things to work on at a time that, uh, within the span of say the campaign took three months, we would have completed 20 other deals in that given time. And to still have that one in the queue can really affect what we charge moving forward to that specific brand, or maybe not be willing to work with them anymore. How do you pick your rates? Is it, is it a matter of the in-depth of the, of the content, the, the, the nature of the content? Is it about the, 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 how, how popular you think it will be with your audience? How do your rates sort of change? Yeah. So I think in this industry, people always talk about rate cards. And in terms of rate cards, I kind of have a mixed opinion towards that. I feel like it is important to be direct with the rates, but at the same time, uh, content creators on the internet are not exactly like freelance videographers where you might charge by the hour or by the project or by the number of days. Instead, it is a very adaptive combination of both what the supply and demand is, what the timeline and queue is, and in fact, what the brand is and how it fits in with your content. So, I mean, when I first started 100,000 subscribers, I was charging $500 a video and I was probably getting an acceptance rate of anywhere between five to 10%. I'd be sending a lot of pitches. Not many of them were working. And eventually as that went up um, in, I think, uh, probably around second year university, uh, we were generating probably about $200,000 a year in brand sponsorships. And that was a scenario where the channel was like two to 300,000 subscribers and the deals would range anywhere from like maybe $5,000 uh, for the most part, but then maybe once or twice a year, they would hit about $10,000. And that's where you kind of know where your range is. Um, but at the time, that is still money that is invested back into the company. And so you want to have a high success rate of pitches that you're doing in order to kind of build that resource and build your channel to another state. Um, but if we look at the last like two to three years, for example, 
the channel may have grown to 700,000 subscribers and at a consistent rate of about 100,000 subscribers a year, but we're seeing like dedicated video rates go from 20, 30, 40, even 60 to $70,000. And the content is actually easier to make than what it was before. And some deals can actually even hit like $200,000 and above just because of the context of the brand, how much you're trying to invest. And it is also very industry focused. Um, we've had like companies in the home tech, home industry, uh, not exactly home tech, but in the home industry, tell us that our rates are 10 times higher than what they're used to paying. Um, but our argument to that is that we're pretty much filled the entire year, uh, 100 videos a year, a team of seven, including contracted and seven days a week, we're filming, we're always editing something that we have to continue to charge these rates, if not raise them just to be able to keep up with supply and demand. Um, it's not even down to just like us not wanting to do a deal. It's literally the queue is always going to be full and you have to continue to adapt in order to have, I guess, a lower acceptance rates of deals. So more companies saying no, essentially. Do you ever turn people down? Like you got the product and it was like just garbage. You won't, you won't even bother with it. Um, I'd say like for the most part, um, the products that are sent over now are relatively decent. Uh, a company that has the money to spend is either for two reasons, either they're very well established or they're trying to be a disruptor in the industry and they have something new to bring to the table. So for the most part, the products that we get, I would say are pretty decent. I haven't, I have had a few where there's like prototype software and we may have asked to delay the campaign a little bit, uh, just to make sure it is actually like in a production state. But yeah, for the most part, I'd say, um, Almost all of our deals are companies reaching out and agencies reaching out. There are still some that we have to turn down for multiple reasons, um, whether it is like non-compete, uh, the timeline. But uh, as a business person and um, kind of looking at the big picture and seeing that it is just the start of large opportunity moving forward, I'll always try to sort of accommodate to be able to fit every single thing into the schedule. Um, and if we have to bring in more contractors or just like add an extra day of work or shuffle the schedule around, uh, I think the biggest thing that has been consistent in the last 10 years of the business is that it is just a constant fight to not only um, increase your resource uh, and to be able to generate more revenue, but at the same time, produce better content, produce faster content, travel to every event and keep every company happy, and also just keeping up with your queue and meeting every deadline that there is. What defines success in a Justin Say campaign? And then my, my follow-up question is, what would you say has been your most successful campaign so far? Yeah, I think uh, the, the goal of success has definitely changed over the years. Uh, when I first started and when I was a kid, it was to gain subscribers and to maybe be able to do this as a living. But in 2011, 2012, it really wasn't something that uh, a lot of people did as a living um, because it was just a new industry. It wasn't really something that companies wanted to invest a lot of money in. And so when you're in school or like just like middle school and high school, it's really just something that you enjoy making and people think it's cool that you have a subscriber number, but it wasn't like something that was that sustainable. I think by the end of high school, I was maybe able to generate like twenty to thirty thousand dollars a year in income, which I guess wasn't too bad. And eventually, that started to double every single year. Um, and so, at the time, it was definitely to make as much money as possible, and then um, to continue to grow the subscriber count. And when you first start, you have a goal of a thousand, you have a goal of five, ten, fifteen, twenty, and that kind of goes on to one hundred, two, three, four, five. Um, but as I dropped out of university, in I think it was twenty. 18 now, um, the goal kind of shifted over to, to building a business and a team. But I think if you look at 2022, uh, the thing that probably is like the biggest goal is to continue to stay excited about things. Um, a lot of the goals that I had 
uh, for a YouTube channel and that I had as a kid um, were like five, 10 years ago, like to be able to attend an Apple event, to be able to work on a campaign, to be able to charge a minimum of $10,000 on every deal that we do. Um, but because it takes so long to build that, and it's like a very manual process um, as the creator that has to be on the face of the channel. Uh, by the time you reach that goal, you've already looked 10 years ahead that you don't really realize that at some point you dreamed of being at the point that you are today. So I guess like when I visited the uh, the Apple campus, I probably wasn't as like excited as I would have been at the time. Um, when I bought my dream condo, it wasn't really that exciting anymore. And like even the rates nowadays uh, with campaigns hitting six figures and comfortable six figures, I mean, it is just a number at the end of the day. And although like Obviously, my biggest intention is to continue to grow the revenue, um, to be able to invest in real estate and document that on YouTube. Uh, it's really these like crazy travel opportunities, uh, such as being able to attend Formula One and getting like world class access that does excite me and continuing to find ways that technology can tie into this. Uh, so, for example, our next trip is to go to the UK um, with Wimbledon uh, because the phone company that we work with is on all the billboards. And so we're able to tie the smartphone camera with our whole team and uh, some friends going to uh, to Wimbledon to work together on making a video. Unbelievable. I saw you also recently wrote on the relaunch of the Lamborghini Countach, which is a big uh, fantasy car of mine <clears throat> as an electronic car. So I guess maybe your next goal could be like when they send you an, elec an electric uh, Lamborghini Countach. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, electric cars are, are very... Uh, are very fascinating space and to be able to check out some cool cars would be nice. I've also thought about maybe uh, buying a warehouse in Victoria or eventually in Vancouver and um, not only having a filming studio, but also having an electric car fleet where we purchase these cars or either receive them through our contacts and the media side of things and not only serve as like a demonstration for people to be able to check them out, but at the same time to rent them out. Um, and by using these cars as, as pieces for videos and comparing them with every electric car that ends up coming out in the future from all these companies, we're not only able to build the YouTube channel even larger as being the go-to electric car experts of the future, but also generating income from uh, renting out these electric cars on a daily basis. And um, that's kind of what we've been doing with our properties as well, um, renting, uh, renovating them, renting them out on Airbnb, purchasing um, a new property for myself, maybe an office, and just like building experiences that are bigger than just the YouTube channel, but are fully leveraged by the YouTube channel in terms of like getting access to these cars early, um, being the only ones to drive the EQS before it came out, um, and also uh, like getting furniture and tech products to be able to put in our Airbnb experiences that are top-notch and allow people to be introduced to these new pieces of technology and things that they might want to add to their own smart home setup. I'm always interested to see the way people are building media companies, D2C, podcasts, newsletter, media company. Um, and I feel like the thing that I'm hearing from you is just this idea of diversification. You know, right now we have 100,000 subscribers. We've got this great revenue stream from advertisers. Um, but, you know, there's this sort of downturn looming, I think, for a lot of people in the space. And the name of the game is multiple income streams, multiple, yeah, multiple streams of revenue coming in. And I feel like that's something that you've evolved to really well. And I love the way that you tie it back in. So you're going to buy a house, you're going to make content about renovating it uh, and making it, you know, just just how you want it, essentially. So it's really sort of a whole beast type mentality you're working out here. Yeah, it's like, uh, it almost makes things less enjoyable sometimes, to be honest. Like, uh, when it comes to buying a car, it's like, how can I make my money back off this thing? When I buy a house, how can I make money off it? If it doesn't, and say, and especially when it comes to traveling, it's like, I almost have a bit of a weird relationship with travel now, because whenever we go on a trip, 
I, like in 2019, for example, I went on 150 flights, didn't pay for a single one of them. And, um, and so when I finally go on a vacation to like go see Formula One, I'm checking the bill and I'm like, this is just like, it wasn't worth it. Like I was like, I was just, I don't know, like where, where, like, is there any work on this? Do we need to put an ad slot in this video? That sort of thing. So the relation with travel has definitely changed. But at the same time, I feel like people who travel as a leisure dream of getting paid to travel for free. And that's kind of what we get to do now. And in fact, the travel campaigns um, where we attend tech events around the world are actually at a higher rate than the content that we create at home. And so um, with diversification, it's definitely an odd thing. Um, when you first start on YouTube, you're pretty much trying to scrape money from every direction possible because the amount of time that you spend on it, it really doesn't pay well. I made a penny on AdSense in the first year. Um, I was selling all the products that I was reviewing for 20 bucks here and there. And part of the reason why I was able to profit on that was because I would take stamps from my dad's cabinet. And so I was not paying for shipping. Um, and I would send these things around the world. And so like scraping by the 20 bucks here and there, somebody needed a real estate video, $250. And just like, like in the beginning, you're definitely scraping around. But I think um, as the channel grew, and as we started getting more sponsorship opportunities, we've not only like realized that we can expand into other industries by like launching an online course, or also um, utilizing our state of the art equipment to charge a lot for like client video. But it's also kind of more so encouraged us to continue to narrow down on the strongest one, which is uh, brand deals at the moment. Even though we realize that like it is very consumer behavior based, um, if there's a downturn in consumer buying, which could be coming soon, there will be less brand deals, but there's always an industry that is thriving when another is not. So um, in COVID, I mean, travel was not popular, and um, but home tech and desk setups were. So we were positioned enough to be able to do that. Electric cars aren't going nowhere anytime soon. Um, cryptocurrency may have been the trend for a little bit, but right now it's not looking so good. And so continuing to ride that wave and figuring out what is a trend at the moment is very important. But us as a company has actually diversified a little bit less at the moment, just because of like the overwhelming potential of opportunities in our main income stream. Um, I think, I think the importance for us right now is to build more passive streams. Uh, brand deals are very, very active. You do have to spend like a ton of time creating new content, keeping up with it. And uh, even though it does pay very well, it is important to have passive streams such as the real estate division and, um, and the course, for example, that is able to utilize our resource and doesn't take as much time per se. Um, but utilizing the active income and the high margins can be reinvested effectively to at least continue to build passively. I wonder, like, what's your advice to D so most of our listeners are e-commerce founders, D2C founders. Most of them, I think, are pretty heads down in in their D2C product. I think there's a lot of people that have agencies as well. Maybe some people do investing. But I'm curious, what's your what would be your high level advice for D2C founders looking to create other revenue streams for themselves for their business? Where, what are the go to things to look at when looking for other revenue streams? Um, I would say it really depends on the the industry that you're in. Uh, with any industry, there's a lot of potential when it comes to consulting and when it comes to courses because it's something that is very scalable. And the thing about the YouTube channel is if you don't upload for a few months, a lot of people will forget about you. And uh, with an online course, if it's effectively marketed, you can share your knowledge that you've gained over the last 10 years. And knowledge, is, knowledge and experience is something that nobody can buy and nobody can take away from you you are able to sell it and explain all the things that you've learned throughout, like say like a decade in the industry. And so I feel like consulting and courses and being able to let people who want to learn a little bit quicker, skip that line is very effective. And, and so I think continuing to, um, find like the balance between passive and active revenue is very important because, um, in the beginning of YouTube, it was just 
always working on a bit of everything. And eventually there are areas that we delegate, but it is important as a business owner or a founder to continue to know every aspect of your business and learn about areas that can enhance, improve, or also enable you to train people to do that job for you, um, either the same, if not better in the future. Um, an example in my space could be like video editing. Realistically, I haven't improved in video editing in like five years. Uh, I used to edit all my videos individually from start to finish. And now my job is a lot of uh, administrative related work, running an actual business and making sure all the staff have like all the instructions and um, everything's consulted on. Uh, but I do know that I should be a much better video editor, but because of the way the industry works, I don't exactly have to be a better video editor because um, I'm not editing my videos anymore. And it's the same with like Photoshop. Uh, back then I'd watch all these Photoshop tutorials. Now we have a graphic designer, but photography and video are an area that I always need to kind of get better at just so I have a preference and like a set of practices to be able to train the team that is directly working on that. So um, I think the the interesting thing, especially for any um, founders or listeners of DDC, is that if you've been in an industry for a while, there's always things to learn and there's always ways to be able to leverage your experience. And depending on what specific space you're in, finding ways to leverage that experience is and how to scale that experience that you have and knowledge that you're having to share uh, is how you essentially scale your business uh, long term. Education is such a good call too, just because in a downturn economy, which is something it appears, you know, we're about to announce a recession probably, education is something that does boom, lead generation booms, even even if some some products, uh, you know, diminish. So I feel like having that bet hedged, having education products ready uh, for your customers or for other people in your in your sort of industry could be a really valuable, uh, valuable angle. Yeah. And I would say like when any like downturn, um, it's like the perfect time to learn. Uh, I think in the YouTube space, we're very fortunate to be very, very busy for almost 10 years and with a ton of travel and all that, as soon as COVID hit, um, there was like a few months where there wasn't any brand deals. And there are some people who might take it as an opportunity to rest or maybe wait until the deal comes because there's always going to be a part of year that is a little bit slower based on consumer behavior. But in my opinion, uh, similar to like real estate, for example, where the market's hot and then it's cold, the people who really end up thriving long term and are able to make the most of a hot market are the ones who are able to find business or ways to make money in their field while there's a given downturn. Um, and so I think we really doubled down on creating content that we wanted to create but didn't really have the time to due to brand commitments. Uh, while COVID was on and we really doubled down on like setup makeover and we're able to build that channel and that momentum and improve on the cinematography effectively where we've had a year where growth has been two to three times um, in terms of revenue and sub speed has also continuously grown. Um, and this year has been off to a great start. And I heavily, and there's also been a few creators who um, haven't really made a comeback since that whole like kind of year where things were a little bit slower. Um, and so, yeah, I believe um, in an industry where it's very competitive and I'm sure in many marketing industries, there are a ton of people in each one, uh, wherever there's opportunity, there's going to be a lot of competition. Uh, it's very important to stay ahead of the curve. And especially if there's a downturn, that's like the perfect opportunity to be able to revolutionize your business, but also learn more as a creator founder, um, be able to analyze every aspect of your business, but also work on things that you felt like you had an excuse not to do before. What do you make of new technology? So like uh, things like shorts, YouTube shorts. I was just reading an article on reels versus shorts versus TikTok. This, there's this real land grab for all these short form uh, videos. So my first question is within YouTube, how do you leverage shorts and how do you think about shorts? And then the second question would be, how do you think about other channels like TikTok and reels in your, in your portfolio here? 
Yeah. So with anything, whenever there's a new format and a new uh, like consumer trend or industry trend, there's kind of two ways to look at it. There's a crowd of people who are going to hate on it. And there's a crowd of people who are going to innovate and take full advantage of it. And when you take full advantage of something and it works, you have nothing but good things to say. And if you don't want to take advantage of it or you feel like it's hurting your business, the easiest thing to do is to complain. And I mean, I love to complain about a lot of things all the time. I think most of my days spent complaining about things as a very analytical person, but I fully believe that like you cannot be at the mercy of these platforms that you need to innovate in order to stay, whether it's your content or your format. Um, Instagram, for example, has shifted out of being a photo platform and we've really focused on reels. Uh, we've asked as a team, how can we innovate? Do we need to hire more members to just specifically create good content for reels? Is there any way that we can adapt our current mediums, format, leverage, and resources to fully take advantage of these new trends? Because if it works, it's going to be a lot of fun. And so like we've tried short form content. TikTok is also one that is very interesting, has a lot of potential, but we haven't specifically figured out. You might have talked to Brett about that. Um, with YouTube, we're still very much long form content, um, but we have talked to a YouTube partner manager today about how can we use shorts? Because even though these are very similar formats of short form content, they're all very different in their own way. Uh, TikTok, for example, might like a sweet spot of 20 seconds, whereas Instagram Reels, you can kind of leverage it on your Instagram stories and you can go up to a minute and it still does well. TikTok, you can go up to three minutes, but it may not necessarily do that well unless you're extremely engaging. And with YouTube Shorts, it's just one that I'm not really used to yet because I'm used to uploading YouTube videos on YouTube. And so uploading something like a TikTok or Reel doesn't feel right. And I've seen some great data reflecting that like YouTube shorts can grow your channel significantly. And obviously I want a piece of that and it might be the fastest way to be able to hit a million subscribers. Um, but effectively uh, we do have to kind of figure out what works because otherwise it could negatively impact the channel as a whole. So I think doing research is always very important. It's easy to get comfortable with these platforms and with the constant change, it always feels like as soon as you've learned a certain strategy, the strategy has since changed. And so I think, yeah, with any space, I know, I don't know how many people here like make YouTube videos. You have to constantly learn. I know like with the Facebook ads, um, there's, a, there was a change there with iOS and Apple's restrictions. And so the APIs and stuff are always going to adapt. And I think the algorithms can be looked at at the same way in social media. Have you felt like that? Like with like I, I haven't been too dialed into the YouTube space, and I feel like a lot, a lot of our advert. When I run into advertisers in the DTC side who have mastered YouTube, it's it's their favorite channel. I think I think of Ryan McKenzie and True Earth, just you know, creating amazing content for YouTube that's doing extremely well. What's your advice for DTC brands who want to to really make the most of YouTube as a platform? Yeah, I mean. Uh... A YouTube, a YouTube channel is the hardest thing to build. And whenever there's companies asking about like, how should we make a YouTube? Um, I can totally see why a lot of companies end up just hiring YouTubers to kind of talk about their product. Because the thing about YouTube is that it's very, very resource heavy. I would almost argue that it's the most resource heavy platform of anything. There are production teams, there's video, there's research, there's like thumbnails and all that kind of stuff. Whereas TikTok is actually going to perform better if you film it on your phone. And it's the same with Instagram Reels. And so I see a ton of brands um, focus on just kind of doing some uh, like TikToks and stuff on phones and it's pretty effective, but YouTube is not the same way. There has to be some levels of production to it. And, and so you have to go all in. And a lot of times the reward are very limited um, with YouTube. Uh, a brand is not really looking to make money off AdSense or sponsorships, but instead converting direct sales. And some industries are going to be a lot easier to start than others. For example, there's um, 
there's like moment for example uh, they, they make like smartphone lenses and they create content around photography and that makes a lot of sense but there might be another d2c product that is very niche and it's going to take so many years you're going to need a full-time host and all that so um it's not the platform that i would recommend people uh like starting on unless they're very sure just because it does take years to build. Um, but I think from like the general consensus of like Instagram and TikTok and all that, YouTube is unanimously the most powerful platform, but it's without a doubt that it is under threat when it comes to short form content. I don't see it like going away anytime soon. I feel like long form content in its detail is still always going to be popular, but the amount of attention is getting shifted over to short form for sure. And the amount of discovery that I make through shorts on channels, whether, you know, whether it's on TikTok or Instagram, um, the amount of discovery I make of brands or of channels or of, or, or of the longer form content through the shorts, I think it, it probably makes sense as, a, as an ongoing channel. But yeah, you're definitely not going to get, it'll be harder to get some of the brand deals probably on the shorts. So you have to, you'll have to balance the monetization with the, with the growth as you are constantly doing. So, I mean, reels are actually, reels are becoming very popular actually on Instagram in terms of the, the format. Originally we would post like, just like Instagram photos of pretty random stuff. And then we started doing a little bit of reels and we've seen that to actually be the same, if not bigger potential than some YouTube integrations. Um, and so like we used to have a ton of like 60 second ad slots on, um, on like, uh, YouTube, for example. And with that, like, yeah, it's a good deal because it's only a minute, but you have to create the whole video, which could take days and a lot of moving parts. Um, but for example, like this month, um, we're looking at deals with, uh, Instagram reels and our reels are definitely not like viral, but they're decent performing. And we found that filming it on a phone was actually a lot more effective than doing it on a real camera. And the rates for these reels continuously on like, I think five deals has been about, uh, for five deliverables has been about $15,000 per reel. And at first I thought that was like maybe a one-off, like it sounds a little bit crazy considering it takes about 15 minutes to make the content, if not less. Um, but multiple companies are coming by and offering these rates that it, it definitely seems to be an effective platform. But Instagram is not necessarily the best platform for conversion um, because you don't have any links in the description. Interesting. If you, one of the things we love to do on this podcast is, is use it as a manifestation platform. So, are there any brands out there that you haven't worked with that you would just absolutely brands or creators, let's say that you, that you could partner with potentially? Who, who would you most like to partner with out there? Yeah, I think um, I, we were very lucky that in this last month, a lot of the opportunities that we have are like world-class or stuff that were on the bucket list. So being able to uh, to go to the Apple Theater and meet Tim Cook, like going to Formula One was a dream for a few years and being able to meet all the drivers and get paddock access. Uh, we definitely want to expand on a bit more of that. And um, in the next few weeks, we're heading off to Wimbledon, which is uh, like... I'm not like a tennis player or anything, but to be able to be in like the VIP box through YouTube and to be paid to go there and film on a phone for a little bit is um, are the, always opportunities that I think keep this in industry interesting even 10 years in. Um, I think right now what we're really trying to do as a brand is to continue to do these world-class events that not only build our um, our status as a media company, uh, because a lot of times people look at it and it's just like a YouTube channel, but then all of a sudden when we're at these crazy events and actually creating official campaigns for them and meeting influential people, I think that's what adds validity to not only the YouTube channel and also the media company. So I think like the dream in the next like few years is to continue to be able to work on like really crazy campaigns. Um, I mean, if you look at like Marquez Brownlee, he's gotten some opportunities that are 
like the bucket list of YouTube. Um, my agent also managed a campaign that um, had one of the creators talking to Mark Zuckerberg um, for a Ray-Ban campaign uh, and being able to maybe interview like Elon Musk one day, uh, being able to see more facilities of uh, where products are being manufactured. Uh, so in the past few years, we've been able to go to like Dyson, for example, in the UK and see their whole R&D facility to see like electric car facilities. And the fact that they're allowing like social media creators to go behind the scenes with cameras and show a raw look of how the products are being made um, is unprecedented and each time that we get to do that it's definitely like a career highlight um, and even like thinking like last year we got to do a virtual interview with uh, Craig Federighi who is rumored to possibly be the next Apple CEO um, and and I thought that was uh, a very unique opportunity considering how closed off Apple was uh, before that yeah I was like there's not you got Elon maybe Kanye I think a Kanye collaboration on his new you know music technology or something <laughs> Would be a good one to yeah. aspire to as well, but it's ama- it's amazing how many and, uh, of your bucket list uh, items you've hit already. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's. I, I need to kind of try to be more excited for each of these things because, like, in the moment, it's it's sort of just. I mean, you're doing your job and and you try to document it as well as possible. But being able to look back at it and telling the stories uh, is is always, uh, I guess, the best part of the job. And of, and of course, the resources and being able to to reinvest that into bigger plans is always cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely changed a lot over the years, for sure. Um, the first few videos were just filmed on an iPod, filmed pointing towards the carpet and like put on a garbage can as a tripod. Um, and there is no editing at all to now um, pretty much having more resources than the typical production company uh, to create web videos and a full team that travels around. Uh, I think a lot of people still find it relatively surprising. And kind of when I look at it from a different perspective, I, it feels like just like the everyday job. Um, but it it's, it's, uh, it's definitely quite cool, but took a long time to build. So if we were to give you a $50,000 grant, uh, Canadian dollars, let's say, because we're both Canadian, uh, where would you apply that in the next, say, three to six months to to see the biggest impact? Um, I think there's a... It would definitely be invested into like video projects that were maybe a little bit optimistic, but we hadn't tried before. So maybe like a, a project that would invest in in giving something away to the public. Um, but it's like a challenge. I think there's like the Mr. Beast style videos where they put that money towards like a crazy experience or prizes and people on the street can come and like learn something about like a product or brand, but also have the chance to win something that can make an impactful difference on their life. Um, maybe even like a, a fund where you find like potential creators who film something on their phone and the best creator will end up getting a grant to be able to create content. But I think uh, definitely one of those types of projects because, um, yeah, like uh, in the media and, and ad industry, the margins are very wide. And so there is capacity to invest in projects at the moment. But I'm definitely someone who is still like quite conservative in terms of how we invest these funds. Um, there are certain areas where I'm very tight about in terms of spending. And there's other like crazy ideas that I'm more than willing to to invest in. And I think at this stage, we've gotten all the opportunities within the size that we would like to. But in terms of the next step, there are some ideas where we may want to invest, such as like a worldwide Airbnb series where we stay at all the craziest Airbnbs and bring that knowledge back into building our own Airbnbs in uh, BC. That's like a series where we're going to have to spend a bit of money to make that and produce it and uh, and then pitch it to Airbnb and we, they might like it and they might shut down the idea or it could lead to a big payoff. Um, and so I think the high risk, high reward is, is sort of where we where we look to put capital towards um, in the future. 
I love that idea. It's funny. One of my peers, uh, he runs Chamber Media. His name is Travis Chambers. He run this very successful agency, and now he's diversifying into real estate. And he's just trying to find a builder for this crazy, um, like, like Luke Skywalker, like where Luke Skywalker grew up, sort of like this concept for that he's building on the salt flats in Utah. And it's just a total concept house, just like for a destination Airbnb. And it's such a neat idea where you tour around to all these Airbnbs and then, uh, and then use what you learn to create the ultimate Airbnb experience. I'm, I will invest in that. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's a cool idea. Like taking an interest that like is surreal and doesn't exactly exist and building it into something in this planet. I think uh, on the topic of being excited for things, building those types of world-class experiences and visiting something like that um, is is one that I would like genuinely be interested to film um, because a lot of our job is actually filming the same stuff every day. And so I do get bored like quite easily and like other people might look at it and be like, oh, that's really cool. But like, I'm like, have we, have we filmed this stuff like a hundred times already? Maybe it, I, we have 1100 videos on the channel plus 300 that I deleted. And so um, it is very rare that I'm excited, like crazy excited to film something. And and so I think these like surreal and world-class experiences are are definitely what would lead to that. Very cool. All right. Well, we're planning some big things in Victoria in the upcoming months. It sounds like you've got some big plans. We're going to turn Victoria into even a bigger tech mecca than it already is. I'm excited to collaborate with you, Justin. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for chatting. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the D2C podcast. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumer, all one word, dot co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.